1: Hi, my name is Dr. Warwick Bishop, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast and videocast station. Today, I have the chance to interview Dr. Sandy Zalstein, who's an anaesthetist and a colleague, and I'm delighted to welcome you today, Sandy. How are you?
0: I'm really good. Thank you, Warwick.
1: Sandy, look, so many people go through surgery, and so often they're talking about what they're having done and the operation, but none of that can happen unless there's an anaesthetist there. Just in the most simple and practical terms, how do you define anaesthetics for the patients who you're looking after through those procedures?
0: Thanks, Warwick. Yeah, um, there's no doubt. um, There's no modern surgery without modern anaesthesia, and it's um, sometimes being described as one of the greatest gifts to mankind, um, obviously after cardiology. Um, (laughs) um, Look, usually there's... Different, in simple terms, it's a couple of different things that anaesthetists do. Number one is we we um, make people, to varying degrees, if you like, unaware of their environment. Um, number two is we make them comfortable. We take we address their pain needs. Um, uh, number three is we have uh, varying degrees of sleepiness. Uh, and That's a a very traditional approach, and and I guess increasingly now a more sophisticated view of what anesthetists do is we look after you, we we protect you, we keep you safe, we look after your vital bodily functions, and uh, increasingly the modern sort of view of anesthesia as it's evolved over the last little while is um, we uh, address your, uh, if you like, your chronic health conditions um, before, during, and after your surgery. So. If you like, if you move from the, the traditional sleepiness, lack of awareness, and pain relief, and then now increasingly there's more and more things that anaesthetists are responsible for, as well as some technical things. You know, um, anaesthetists aren't just uh, limited to providing care in theatre.
1: When um, When did anaesthesia really start? Has it been something that's been with us since the onset of surgery? I mean, we see cartoons of people biting on a. On a, on, a, on a tight cloth and the, the surgeon operating out and in, uh, in the battlefield. But when did anaesthesia really and, and what started anaesthesia? Was it that ether, the sort of stuff over the face or was it yeah,
0: yeah. So um, I, I'm not an expert historian, but I'll have a crack and I'm, I'm, I have some idea about it. And I'm, I'm pleased to say for the um, Tasmanians listening or watching in, there's a, a, a really strong Tasmanian connection. So if you went back to the dark ages, they were dark ages, and, and any sort of uh, surgical procedure, whether it was a bloodletting or the resetting of a bone, was, was, was pretty grim and pretty uncomfortable and patients were moving around, and, um, you know, in the, the dark ages. And, you know, in, in various cultures and, and civilizations, there were varying levels of, if you like, basically doping people up um, with some sort of uh, concoction to make them, if you like, not wriggle so much and not complain so much, um, but it was it was not a pleasant thing. Around the time of the mid eighteen hundreds, some uh, developments, basically technology and and some science, came to the pass, and it came about some a gas called nitrous oxide, which came and laughing gas is what most people, and that was. <coughs> People worked out that that was a um, uh, good thing that made people, uh, took away a lot of pain and made people tolerate, like, for example, dental procedures and things like that. That was really a big development. And to be fair, uh, nitrous is still in use today. And then there were some really big developments in, um, uh, you know, there was a series of developments. The big ones, obviously, were whether or not you were using um, ether or uh, chloroform. Chloroform uh, became... Uh, they, they both became two of the options for anesthesia in, in the United Kingdom and America, and uh, around not similar times, about the mid 1800s. And in fact, uh, there was a very early adoption. I can't remember how many days after the first use in the states of um, ether um, uh, it was used in London. Actually, uh, very early on, in uh, I think it's St. Vincent's from memory. So they were the two anaesthetic gases. Now, um, chloroform has fallen by the wayside. It's pretty unpleasant and, and a bit toxic. And then over the sort of, uh, I don't know, 160 plus, 170-odd years since then, what's happened is a series of evolutions and um, developments to improve the quality of the anaesthesia, both from the point of view of the patient experience as well as from the surgeon or proceduralist experience. Um, and maybe the anaesthetist experience too, to be honest. Um, and to address every step of the way, there's, um, you know, all these agents, as we've refined and improved them, there's been some sort of problem or, or limitation with them that, um, if you like, a new development has sought to address and improve on. So from the ethers, we went to some newer compounds, and, and we still use, if you like, the, the, um, the grandchildren of the original ether, we still use uh, their halogenated ethers. Um, we use them in, in practice today. And um, that makes um, yeah, that makes for a better, safer and, and uh, more pleasant anesthetic.
1: Look, we, we might come back to some of the specific agents because I'm sure some of them are gonna be interesting. But one of the things that people going into surgery often ask about uh, is in regard to whether they have a local or a general. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people get attached to having one or the other, um, maybe just, just define what a local anaesthetic is versus a general anaesthetic and and just a couple of situations where you might use one or the other and guide a patient to the best uh, selection there?
0: Well, I, I think the best way for me to answer that one, Warwick, is you asked me, I think, once, you know, what's what's more important, uh, the surgeon or, or proceduralist or, or the anaesthetist? And I could say quite comfortably I, I can um, look at you and say, well, it's the patient. Um, <laughs> And, um, but, and by addressing, and so basically we've, we've sort of ticked off now the, the three things that you've got to consider when you're developing a, um, an anaesthetic approach. You know, in simple terms, there are, there are patient factors, there are surgeon or, or surgery factors, and um, there are anaesthetic factors. And so the, the anaesthetic plan, uh, the technique of choice, starts with a, um, with a, a qualified anaesthetist. Uh, who uh, makes a thorough assessment of all of those factors and comes up with a plan depending on what we where you need to go, what your, your perioperative journey is going to be. Um, and, um, you know, obviously at one end of a spectrum, uh, small peripheral procedure um, that lends itself to having an injection with a local anaesthetic, which is a medicine that's injected Uh, adjacent to a nerve or under the skin where the nerves run, and that makes basically the area um, uh, uh, being supplied by those nerves numb, and it makes them numb for a period of time, usually an hour or a couple hours. Um, uh, And then there's a range of, if you like, increasing complexities of of local anaesthetics. You know, a lot of maybe your your listeners, maybe some are... are, uh, uh, have had cesarean sections and that's local anesthetic that's a, often done by a, uh, sorry uh, that's done by a spinal procedure which is a small injection and actually we put the local anesthetic in, uh, in the fluid that surrounds the spinal cord and that provides um, really good anesthesia from the, if you like the uh, chest down that um, these pregnant women are able to have an operation to take their babies out. Um, and be aware at the same time so you know there's some really good examples of when you can that's really what we call a regional technique where we we use the local anesthetic not just to numb a little patch of skin for example but we use it to if you like anesthetize or numb a a whole part of the body in fact in those situations half the body if you like and then there are other procedures which really require, if you like that, going back to what we were talking about before, being asleep, being unaware and being pain-free. And that they're not areas of the body that can be um, uh, you can put to sleep with an injection either of a, under the skin or, if you like, near the spinal cord. Um, would it, uh, yeah.
1: Would it be fair to say that uh, surgeries that require you to control the airway would require... Uh, people to be asleep so where you're breathing for people if they're having surgery on the chest or the abdomen those people need to be absolutely
0: I'd say even further you know um, you could say you know neurosurgery and and big operations you know where um, where you require control what you have alluded to controlled mechanical ventilation operations that require if you like a degree of muscle paralysis um They're the sorts of things that we um, and, and ones that usually involve the, as you said, the, the big body cavities, the, the chest and abdominal or pelvis, um, but not exclusively. And what's really important to know is um, uh, sometimes we, in fact increasingly, and, and it's often uh, viewed favorably is to do a bit of both. Uh, oftentimes, for example, I, I you know, I'm thinking of the surgical colleagues I work with, um, it's pretty common for us to use a local anaesthetic or regional technique combined with a general anaesthetic to improve um, to improve their anaesthetic before, you know, during and after uh, surgery, in particular to give them some pain relief. And uh, and of course, I, r- I really don't want to miss out on the point that you know um, one important category is sometimes uh, anaesthetists are just not doing either of those, sometimes we're just providing expert sedation and that's in a, with some monitored anaesthetic care and that's an important part too. So, you know, and this is what we do is we assess, you know, um, we, we, we assess those patient surgical and uh, anaesthetic factors and come up with uh, a plan that involves varying levels of those things.
1: One of the things that um, patients raise with me is the difference between a local and a general and often they think, that a local is safer perhaps. Mm. And my understanding as a cardiologist is if given the same procedure, in yeah. general terms, the risks are pretty similar between a local and a general, and um, and there's not a huge deal of difference. Would that be a fair comment in a very general sense?
0: I'm going so- to push back and say that there are definitely some patients uh, who we can safely give uh, some local anesthetic to for small peripheral procedures. and um, whereas uh, if you like, um, general anesthesia would expose them to a variety of stresses and risks that uh, might be able to be avoided. Because you're right, general anesthesia usually w- will involve some degree of uh, what we airway management will involve some degree of uh, control of breathing. Uh, and um, so there are some patient groups where we actively look to just give them a local use local anesthetic if that's acceptable, um, if that will get you the right uh, result, because for them it is safer. There's no doubt about it. And, and it makes sense that, you know, if you could just put an injection under the skin and, you know, if you've just got a little. Um, lesion or something, for example, in your skin, you just put some local in, and it gets. Um, and the surgeon can take that out. Well, great. I mean, anesthesia, general anaesthesia for well patients is incredibly safe in, in the modern era. Um, it really is, but you know, with uh, uh, increasingly now the, the the modern problem for your, uh, if you like, your audience. Uh, increasingly is we're dealing, anesthetists now are, are dealing uh, with, um, generally we have older patients, which is one issue, and we all know that as one ages, um, your, your body systems aren't as robust as they were when you are younger, and that, that affects anesthesia. You're more likely to have acquired illnesses through your life and they require medications, and so that adds a degree of complexity and risk. Uh, and um, you know the optimization of those is a really important thing, and that's where anesthetists like to talk to cardiologists. Uh, that's pretty important to us. Um, we uh, increasingly uh, are having to deal with those sorts of issues. Um, so, you know, for some patients, if you like, at extremes of physiology, age, or pharmacology, um, sometimes for them, a local anaesthetic with some sedation might be. Uh, Being on the procedure might be a really, really good approach. But there are also, too, some patients who, like you, as you rightly pointed out, um, that um, where local anaesthesia with or without sedation is not an option. And um, then you've got to have um, a safe, well executed anaesthetic to get you through.
1: So I get this, I get the sense, um, just in very general terms, that there's a lot hinges on. individual patient together with the requirement of the surgeon or the proceduralist for whatever needs to be done in combination with the skill set of the anaesthetist and that that sort of makes perfect sense evaluating each person with their own merits but with an eye to the time sandy what i'd really like to do is just tease you out a little bit Mm -hmm. on how you ended up in anesthesia but the preamble to that is that we often think of medicine as having uh, such a broad range of specialties that anyone with any personality disorder can find something that suits them. So we might say that surgeons and cardiologists are a little bit type A. We might say that people who do pathology or radiology are very detailed and meticulous. Where where would our um, where would we see anaesthetists And how did uh, you? I've,
0: get a- I've told you a million times not to exaggerate, Warwick. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um. Uh, it's all about, and yes, that is Percy in the background there. Um, look, uh, there are, and was, I'll go back a step. Medicine is is, uh, is a is a great vocation, and there is something for everyone. And as you rightly point out, we all bring our own uh, uh, individual uh, character uh, to our. Uh, and how we choose, you know, uh, it'd be it'd be great. I'm sure there's been books written about how, do, you know, do we choose the this the the vocation or does it choose us? I'm really not sure. Um, uh, if there was a stereotype of an anaesthetist, I'm, I'm wearing you might have an who listen to this, and I'd hate to um, get any of them upset because I might be thinking of some of them now, including and they might be thinking of me. But you know. Um, what what makes what what do i i guess the easiest thing is i could say what i enjoy about anesthesia and that might apply to some of uh my our, our anesthetic colleagues you know um number one anesthesia is a um it's a hands-on technical specialty so you know you have to enjoy that part of it it it's quite um uh, there's a there's a, a a quite an intellectual component that involves uh knowledge and understanding of things like physiology, how the body works and pharmacology, how drugs work. Um, uh, and a lot of and some there's some science to it. You have to understand, you know, when you're dealing with um, uh, everything from gases to temperature to fluids um, to pressure and volume, you, you do need a bit of a science-y sort of background and have an interest in the physical world. Um, so they're the sorts of things that attract us. And, um, you know, anaesthetists may be unfairly, I would suggest, get a, um, a reputation as people who don't like talking to patients. Uh, you know, we seem to want to put them to sleep and, and, and do whatever we do in theatre at that time. Um, I'd say, in the again, in the modern era, I think you'd find that anaesthetists are very involved in talking to their patients before and after the surgery. Um, and all those sorts of good assessments about safety and quality are really important parts of uh, an anaesthetic. Anaesthetists spend a lot of time talking to their surgeons. We talk to our, ana- our, our other physician colleagues who know their patients really well, you know, after a long period of time. Um, so anaesthetists are pretty comfortable with that. So, yeah. Um, so I think, uh, what yeah, these are the sorts of things anaesthetists probably get um, uh, uh anaesthesia looks for in in potential anaesthetists.
1: Well, I'm going to let you off the hook for now. I reckon we've come to the end of our time. Um, I'd love the opportunity to speak with you again because there's still plenty of stuff I'd love to cover, things like tricky patients and your advice for people coming up for surgery and, and what are the fears and the concerns that you talk people through? So I would love the opportunity to speak with you again, and I'm sure the people listening would love to hear that. For now though, thanks so much for sharing. Um, some, of the historical, some of the historical stuff is, I'm so glad that we're now in the 21st century and not back in the ether and chloroform days. Um, Sandy, thanks so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, for those listening, thank you for joining me as well. Uh, appreciate your attention. Uh, Stay tuned. If you have any queries or questions, of course, drop us a note. Please sign up for the podcast so that you get regular alerts. And, of course, as always, please don't die from a heart attack. Goodbye.
0: You have been listening to another podcast from Dr. Warwick. Visit his website at drwarwickbishop.com for the latest news on heart disease. If you love this podcast, feel free to leave us a review.